What is crackalackin', fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Favalli, once again coming at you with my certified fantabulous co-host, Grant Hughes. Before we dive into this excellent mailbag uh, filled with questions from our Discord listeners, um, which you should join them, go to our Discord. The link is in our podcast and YouTube description. Um, before we get into that, our usual housekeeping notes, including join our Discord, but also Please remember to subscribe to us wherever you're consuming us. If this is the first time checking us out on YouTube, hit like, subscribe, comment, help the algorithm love us back. Subscribe to us on whatever podcast player you're using, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, the whole nine. Throw out recommendations if you've already subscribed to us to friends, family members, acquaintances, random people on the street, enemies, people you work with, anyone who you think might enjoy sub-mediocre NBA basketball takes. And then follow us on all the socials at Hardwood Knox on Twitter and TikTok at Hardwood underscore Knox on Instagram with all those housekeeping notes out of the way, Grant, since I last spoke to you like three seconds ago, mm-hmm. how the hell are you doing? Unlike everything with the Atlanta Hawks, I'm totally fine. Wow. How's that as a jumping off point and for what we're about to get into? Yeah, we'll get to them shortly. Um, I'm going to lead us off with our first mailbag question. Um, this is from Kilhaas and uh, it goes as follows. Is it harder to build a championship team with a point guard as your best player? Um, he says, listening to the roster building strategy we talked about last time, um, and pointed out the fact that the best point guard in recent years, just best point guards in recent years have not been on title contenders, except for Steph, who, as we discuss almost every week is just an anomaly and plays in a different system that kind of de-emphasizes the point guard position. So, uh, great question. Um, it does tie into what we were talking about last week. And we've talked about before of like, what do you need to win a title? And Uh, basically, yeah, it is hard to build a championship team with a point guard as your best player. Just so look at historical precedent, right? If you go back, just say 30, you know, 40 years, whatever, however far you want to go. So in terms of finals MVPs, you've got Chauncey Billups in 04. So, okay. I mean, that's a, that's a, like an anomaly in itself because that Pistons team was just kind of five really good players among the starters. And I've made the case before trying to think about, do you need a top 10 player to win a title and said that a couple of those years, Ben Wallace in terms of his overall impact was probably a top 10 player did it all with defense and nobody really understood it at the time. Although he did win a bunch of defensive player of the year awards, but that was like, that's just not the same as being an MVP level guy. Um, So I would quibble with Billups being the best player on that team, but there's one data point that says you sort of can do it. And then you go to Isaiah Thomas in 1990, which is almost, again, I think he's closer uh, to what you're looking for as a, my point guard is my best player and we won a title. But then that's still kind of the same thing with, again, Detroit. There's just a bunch of defenders around and, you know, other supplementary pieces that you could maybe argue had really close to the same value. So different Magic Johnson's different. He's almost like a Steph level anomaly. I don't, I don't know what to do with that. But so, yeah, I think you got to have good ones. You got to have good point guards, Drew Holiday, Kyle Lowry, Kyrie Irving, Tony Parker, just going back over the last little while. Um, but you can do it with unremarkable ones. Like you get your Mario Chalmers, you get your Derek Fishers. You, you clearly don't need a great point guard and certainly don't need him to be your best player. Um, I think the main thing is if you're trying to figure out why, two two thoughts come to mind. And tell me what you think of, of of both of these. The first is that I think if, so say you have a Chris Paul type point guard who, and the Suns were close, but I've been thinking about this since the Clipper days where if you're just a pick and roll team and this undersized guy has the ball all the time and you're doing the same thing every time, that's one, not that difficult, even if you're great at it for a defense to scheme against. And two, there's probably a way to go at that guy on the other end. If he's just like a, you know, a six foot or in Chris Paul's case, smaller, like true distribute the ball point guard too predictable, too many potential ways to go at that. The other thing is if your point guard is your best player and he's a conventional point guard, I think then by default, it means you don't have a superstar wing, which if you're looking for the commonality among title winners over however long you want to go back, that's the thing that you need. And before that, it was a dominant big guy. It's never been a dominant point guard. So if your point guard's your best player, it means that the wings and the bigs, depending on how far you want to go back, are not your best. And we know 
that you need your Michael Jordans, you need your LeBrons, your Kawhis, your, you know, whatever you want to, Larry Bird, Matt, whatever. So just having a really good point guard, uh, it's almost like a, a giveaway that your team is not, is not equipped to win based on the teams that have won in the past. So what do you think about one, the like Chris Paul model and why that's maybe not the best. And two, if you have an additional thought on like, why, if you have a great point guard, that's your best player, why it doesn't work. Yeah. The going off your points first, I like, so Chris Paul with the Clippers, I don't know. Was he actively targeted on defense in the playoffs during those? The first time I remember it is just like, dallas going after him really while he was with phoenix mm-hmm. um but what i think you're kind of onto something is is that if the if your point guard's your best player you don't have a superstar wing i think there are two things it doesn't counter that but one is just like because you went so far back that this doesn't necessarily apply but positional ambiguity factors in here to where like lebron is a point guard and now luca is a point guard so are you going to say that like your best player can't be luca lebron we've lebron's already disproven that right what I am wondering though is like, so if you have that resource, not even talking about necessarily money, but you have the point guard as that guy and you've decided that's your best player, have you decided to then misallocate your resources elsewhere to where are you focusing on, well, we need play finishers to get around him rather than another creator on the wings or sort of like the, I don't want to say the Giannis type because there is no such thing as the Giannis, but like the combo forward type of playmaker can put the ball in his hands. And so I'm wondering if you, once you have that, that point guard, even like look at a Damian Lillard in Portland. Like, have you just decided, like, have you made it harder for yourself to get uh, not even just a superior, but maybe more of offensive diversification out of the other spots on your roster? Because you've decided this steps on the toes of like, Oh, we'll run pick and roll all the time. Like you said with Dame, but like Dame can do other stuff as well. And yet whether this is because Portland tried and failed, it's just, you fall into the trap of like, well, we don't need to make this a priority because we have Damian Lillard. And so I'm wondering how much that might factor into the rest of the roster building construction. Yeah. I mean, you've you've got finite resources and you've got finite touches and roles and and opportunities, certainly offensively bringing up Lillard is interesting. That just makes me, and, and you're right. Like Chris Paul was not a target, but I think in terms of the way, certainly now the way offense is played now, it's really hard. If you got a guy that's a one position defender that is going to be involved in a lot of actions because it's still a pick and roll heavy league and he's not a good defender. Like that's just, that's tough to overcome, you know, like that that's going to apply. I mean, now it's making me think of like John Morant because he's the Grizzlies best player. And we've very recently done a podcast where I said, I thought the Grizzlies were the best team in the West. And I did not factor in the thought of like, he's a bad defender and he's going to be on the floor all the time. So even if you're not a great opposing offense, you're going to have a guy to go at. Um, true of Damian Lillard, true of Trey Young, you know, true of, I mean, certainly Chris Paul recently. I think it's, I don't know. We just need someone to buck the trend and we need to see proof of concept. But so far, I just, uh, I, I, maybe it is the, re, the resource allocation. Like it's not, and it, like you said, it's not money. It's just that if if the we've Clippers decided using this example, our... it's like Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan, it's you invested your money in play finishing bigs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and what's your, you know, the, so the best versions of those teams, it's like you had JJ Redick as just, he, he, it was like, you asked him to do one thing. You asked him to shoot. Like there was no secondary, I guess Blake like developed. He wasn't just a play a good... finisher. That's unfair yeah. to him towards the well, end. Like, right. No, but the, the theory of that team was very much Chris Paul is orchestrating everything. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. The, it, well, you brought up LeBron and Luca too. I think, I mean, is that just a size thing? Like, is that just that because they're big enough to not be, you know, vulnerable on certain switches or, or maybe what it is, is they can guard different positions. And so you can just put more size and versatility everywhere else. I don't know. It, it, it's not really a point guard thing. It's to me, it's like a small guard thing. It's hard if a small guard is your best player more than anything. Yeah. I think that's the best way to frame that. For sure. Let's move on to this next one, which is is mine, I believe. Or if it's not mine, I'm looking at the wrong uh, mailbag document. Excuse me. So, uh, well, this is one really for both of us. It's Nikola Chekolov asks, I can't believe I'm asking this, but can Sacramento win a playoff series? Assuming they are in four to five, what would be their best matchup? Let's have these Kings fans dream a little. 
And so playoff series is, and look, the Kings are just in their fourth in the West as we record this right now, which is just absolutely bonkers. And I actually, I'm sort of wondering, like when you're looking at the four or five matchup of the potential options, is their best matchup kind of already there? It's the Mavericks just because they're so Lucas centric that I know Lucas a killer in the playoffs. I know what he's kind of threatened to do to the Clippers defense in years past. And the Kings defense is not on that level, but you have to worry really about one guy versus I don't want to, if the Warriors creep up, I don't want to have to deal with Steph. I would, I just like, and that, that defense feels like it might have another gear. If Draymond green is healthy, even though the Warriors have struggled there, I don't want to deal with the Pelicans. If I'm the Kings, you certainly don't want to deal with the Grizzlies, or the Nuggets, and it doesn't matter. They're not falling to, to fifth. And I think I'm also just having trouble of, I like, I guess you could say the Clippers because of how unhealthy they are. Um, and just how much their offense has struggled. But just like the idea of like, well, if Kawhi and Paul George are both playing. That's not necessarily a team I want a part of. And then I also just can't see like the Jazz, the Blazers, the Timberwolves kind of come up to get to that fifth spot. Um, this should be noted though, like a team like the Oklahoma City Thunder are two and a half games out of number five. And so like that, maybe you'd prefer that matchup if you're Sacramento, even though OKC just defends its ass off. But I would go with, I think the Mavs would be their best bet of the most realistic options. Do I think they can win a playoff series? No, I just don't think that they're going to have the defense to do it. Um, their offense is thermonuclear AF and we've seen like they have some defensive highs, but there are going to be teams that are able to really go at them and their rim protection in, in the postseason. I don't think they have the level of wing defenders that you need. I mean, Davion Mitchell has been good. De'Aaron Fox has been better this year as well. And Harrison Barnes and Keegan Murray like are kind of in the fine category and they've gotten some good minutes from Casey Akpala. But like when you're looking at some of the wings that you're going to have to go up against in a prospective playoff series, they just don't have that guy to throw at them. And as we've talked about historically, like the context is to be successful in the playoffs, you need to have more of a balanced approach where it's the top 10 offense and defense goal. And I do think the Kings, their offense is top end enough to where there's some cushion to where the defense can be a little bit worse. I just don't know that the pinnacle of their defense is going to be good enough to beat pretty much any team that we've named a goal. Like if, yeah, if you go up against the Timberwolves or the jazz or the thunder, like we can have a conversation, but if it's, the Mavs, if it's the Clippers, if it's the Warriors, I'm picking those teams over the Kings right now. Yeah, I, I don't have a lot to add. I think my first thought was it's got to be a team that has a defense that's as bad or close to it as as the Kings because I just I don't I don't have any confidence that they're going to be able to stop anyone on offense. So it's like you got to just be able to hope that you outscore outshoot on the other end, you know, four out of seven times. So yeah, Dallas to me was the the clear, you know, best option of the the nearby realistic ones. But I would even say, I think if you're the Kings, you'd probably rather see Denver than like a healthy New Orleans or a healthy Golden State, just because, you know, you're going to base everything around Sabonis. And so that means you're going to necessarily engage Jokic on defense. And if, 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 if you're looking for ways to do it, have Jokic be forced into positions where he's trying to track De'Aaron Fox in a pick and roll or like a handoff game or be involved in covering handoffs to Kevin Herter, like that kind of stuff. Like I don't think there's any scenario where the Kings would beat the Nuggets, but I like that better than some of the other options. Obviously if you, if Portland were to come up and make it that high, seems unlikely Utah the same way. Those are the other two teams I thought of as, you know, just not good enough defensively. So you turn it into a shootout where both teams go for 130 points and maybe the Kings like that's the recipe for a Kings playoff win is to just score enough to offset the, the one twenty five that, that they're going to give up. Truly incredible that they're in the conversation for, I know that the margins are thin in the middle that like the Grizzlies, and the nuggets are cut above everybody else right yeah. now, but to be in the conversation for a top four seed, we're not trying to shit. All no. of them. They, if they could make a trade, which we talked about encumbered picks, in the, the previous podcast, like because of the way that their pick is they sent out 2024 to Atlanta and it's protected until kingdom come. Mm-hmm. Are they going to be able to go out and get like a wing that could help that they were able to trade for like a, even just a Josh Hart or some or Josh yeah. Richardson might even help them. I don't know if that changes how I feel about this question, but that still seems like their biggest need. Yep. Agree. Um, all, this is another, uh, another uh, both of us can handle it. Um, so this is from cosmic raccoon. Uh, or no, sorry. 
Where are we? Oh, this is this is another common one. I just read the wrong one. Moose Machine, what teams would you most like to be the GM of this deadline and why? Also, who would you least like to be the GM of and why? Throw that to you first. Uh, I don't want to have to be the GM of the Lakers just because I don't want to be Rob Blink necessarily. And to have to make, regardless of what you think should have happened over the offseason, to now, let's just fast forward now, have to make the decision of whether to trade these distant first for a team that just can't win a title this year. Like there's just no realistic outcome that the Lakers end up being champions because they use these picks. I just don't see that. I don't want to have to make that decision uh, in terms of it. I would love to be the GM of would be the Knicks because I would tear that motherfucker down. Oh, wow. Would, You're still there. It would be so unexpected and you'd be able to get like all of a sudden value for Julius Randall. Um, you could see what else you're going to like. I don't even know that I'd be focused on getting rid of like a Fournier or a Derek Rose at this point. I'm probably not trading Jalen Brunson, but like, Oh, what's Mitchell Robinson's value? Like, no, I am angling towards something bigger, better, something that's more aspirational than we just want to be like, Oh, maybe we'll be in the conversation for a four seed in the East, but we're never going to win more than a single playoff series with this, this core. That's why I would want to be the GM of the Knicks to pivot. I actually would want to be, the G like I'd want to be David Griffin right now in New Orleans, just because there's so many different things you could do. And there's, there's so many different guys that you could deem expendable, but not really. And I know that the trade market isn't like sexy at the moment, but like they're just built with their salary filler, the picks that they have, some of the players and prospects that they have, they're built to do so many different things that there's this endless optionality at their disposal. And so I'd love to be the Pelicans, but like as sort of this, like, sinisterism i would love to be in charge of the knicks and just be leon rose right now because i would blow everybody's minds with the sell job that i pull off it, it would be great to be david griffin because you could just walk around s- exclusively strutting just because he was like so maligned for so long Every, this we are not that far removed from like this guy's got to go the the van gundy hiring was terrible what are we doing with all these picks and then now like jackson hayes it, now it's like yeah david griffin's in good shape I would add the Grizzlies to that because the Grizzlies can do whatever they want. Um, they're they're really, Pat. That's why I don't want to be the Grizzlies. Yeah, right. You might not need to do anything. The other two teams, I would want to be, I would want to be the Pistons and the Spurs because you can just sit out here looking like who wants to give us everything you have for Jakob Pertle and <laughs> for, for our dead cap space. And jo- like you want to trade three future first for Bogdanovich? We're listening. Like you could just be the asshole. You're, <laughs> you're the only store that's open. You can charge whatever you want. Would you want to be Maasai to that end? Because what if you were just willing to burn it down? I'm scared of being Maasai because it was the same reason, like I, I, the opposite reason, because like it seems like something needs to happen except both extremes in terms of tearing it down or adding are very much in play. And I don't know which I would want to pick. I don't, I like the clear path. I, that's the Detroit San Antonio thing is fun. Two more that I would not want to be GM of the Atlanta Hawks because that's already burning down. Um, that's a tough spot and the Cavs because the Cavs have such a clear need and they don't have a good way to fill it. They need a small forward. They need a big wing that can shoot and defend because they're too small in the backcourt and they don't have enough shooting in a lineup that has Mobley and Jared Allen. It's like, everybody knows what you need. Everybody also knows you don't have a lot of good resources to acquire it. And so you're going to get some tough offers like that are not, you know, they're going to get held over a barrel a little bit and you just, your options are so limited that that feels like a really constricted position to be in. Um, but if you're the GM of the Cavs, your team is really good. So that helps. This next one comes from cosmic raccoon fake trade for the off season. This is going to set some things on fire. Uh, Jalen green, KPJ and a good first round pick for Trey young. Only reason I ask is because there's so much smoke about issues in Atlanta and with a new GM, it seems like they may be ready to hit the reset button to some extent. So if they start looking to trade Trey, how competitive do you think that offer is? Do you want to take us through before you respond to that trade offer? Take us through the latest in all things, Trey young and Atlanta Hawks. Yeah. I mean, jump in cause I'll forget some of it, but, but basically, I mean, this is all to say that talking about what a good Trey Young return package would be is not like fanciful to me at this point. It's something you should be considering. So the Hawks have essentially, you know, Travis Schlenk, who's the general manager, uh, maybe his, I don't know what his actual title was, but he was in charge of personnel and making decisions. Uh, he's gone. They said he went to a consulting role. It sounded like some comments from John Collins involved air quotes, and everybody <laughs> agreed that like 
he had been he had been retired or basically it's like yeah sure he's you know, winking 50 times yeah he's still he's still in the picture it doesn't seem to be Landry Fields who is a former player who I think is like 34 or 30 I mean as a young guy has front office experience but he is now in that position Kyle Korver is involved uh there's all the Nate McMillan Trey Young stuff uh from earlier this year there's also reports now that uh Trey Young chartered a private plane to leave after game two of a playoff series last, last year. Was it don't, I can't remember what it was. Bad look, whatever it was, the specifics. And that Nate McMillan essentially uh, asked ownership, asked the wrestlers ownership, uh, Tony wrestler and his son, Nick, who's making decisions. I think it's Nick uh, asked to be allowed to not coach the team anymore. And then was convinced to stay, even though nobody seems to think he's going to be there beyond this season. So uh tire fire basically um in addition to the hawks underperforming and trey young not making threes uh, so that's where we are that's where we are right now and that's why this question is not totally out of left field so and as, as far as the trade package goes jalen green kpj and a good first round pick for trey young what's a good first round pick are we talking are the rockets putting their first round pick on the table for trey young this season because then Absolutely not. <laughs> they, they will not, not do doing that because you're giving up on Wembenyama. So are they putting, they can't put their 2024 pick on the table. And so what you're looking at is, I guess the next best good first round pick would be their 2026 Brooklyn pick. I would assume like that's unprotected. Yeah. So I think even though we just ran off the laundry list of Hawks problems and Trey Young being at the center of a lot of them, I still think you, I mean, you're not getting out of this if you're the if you're the Rockets or anybody without like minimum three unprotecteds, I think. Just because based on what the market bore, you know, the Gobert, the Mitchell, the DeJounte stuff. I mean, <laughs> it shouldn't cost less pick-wise than it costs you to acquire DeJounte to to get Trey Young if you're the Rockets. Um, so I mean, this doesn't do it. And I don't know what the team is that's going to come over the top with a ton of picks and, you know, just basically give, let's give you our draft for three to five years and, and a player of like Jalen Green's caliber in terms of young assets. But like, I don't, so the answer to the question is I don't think that's a real competitive offer. It'd be one I would make though, just on the off chance that, you know, so the would Hawks you decide we got to get out of this. If you're saying three first round picks, let's say, Houston goes KPJ, Jalen Green, Milwaukee's pick this year, Brooklyn's in 2024, and Brooklyn's in 2026. No, I need it to be like I, and this is why Houston's not a great candidate for this because their picks theoretically are going to be valuable. I want like unprotected firsts in quantity from a team with real downside. I'm, you know? I'm, yeah, I'm with you in the sense of it's like I'm looking, I'm actually looking at the packages. Oh, that's basically Jalen Green and that Nets 2026 pick. Right. Yeah, because you're gonna you're gonna get guys in the the high twenties or whatever potentially. I need I need like the potential to get you know two or three like top ten you know high lottery a couple top five picks out of this. I think, and I just shit on Trey Young and the Hawks, and like I think he's largely at fault for what's gone on there. But the fact is, I mean he's still a really good player, and it might be the type of thing where in a different situation. He learns from what's going on here and he's just back to being, you know, the guy that leads the league in points and assists and is the reason your team is a top three offense with like not much around him. So it's a low point in his value, but I'm still, I need the, I mean, the Gobert thing ruined the market. So it's like, how, what do you compare to anymore? But I need, I need a lot of lottery tickets for him. Would you think, cause we talked about in the previous episode, how the superstar trade market hasn't really been reset and that there's going to be a line drawn in the sand where you're not going to get those Gobert Mm -hmm. and Mitchell type packages. I still think, and I'm just curious what you would think, maybe you're not going to get what you ended up getting for Mitchell and Gobert, where it's all these immediate impact players, plus immediate picks, plus distant picks. But I still think this off season, maybe not the trade deadline, there are going to be teams that would be willing to go that route for Trey Young. I don't want to have to name them here. I think there'd be teams that would be interested on sort of just like a, a cursory basis. Like I think mm -hmm. Orlando might look at him, even though he's, fundamentally different from how they play. I could honestly see OKC looking at him. That wouldn't shock me. Mm -hmm. uh, but like a team that might be closer to contention 
I could still see them kind of making just like the the bolt line. I could see the Heat doing yeah. it for sure, like going the three picks and three swaps route. Mm-hmm. Uh, could I see the Raptors doing it? He's below six seven, so maybe not. But just like that's a team that should, uh, if you mm-hmm. want to keep Siakam and and uh, Scott, like keep two of Siakam, OG Ananobi, and Barnes. So two of those guys are off uh, are off the table. Then it's one of them, all the picks. Maybe yeah. you include Fred Van Vliet in a sign and trade. I mean, you could also make that offer now. But I think that if the Hawks do move Trey Young, they would get a kit and caboodle offer. Like, I think it would be a pretty massive return. I also think they should trade him. Like, whether we're like talking about the could they, they definitely could. And there will be offers. I agree. I agree with you totally that there will be a team that is willing to give up a lot. But I feel it seems to me that, you know, whether, whether you think he's, the reason for everything going wrong, like he's at least whether it's it's causal, it's at least a pretty strong correlation at this point. And now, like how many relationships are fractured, you know, between you know within the team, between Young and the front office, which like we've seen two coaches now. I think, it, it, I just think it's how often does a situation like this reverse? And and you know, a year from now, we're talking about like the Hawks are back, everything's fine. It just doesn't feel like it's trending that way. And I would kind of want to get out ahead of it if I could. If you got the right package. Do you know which team should do it? Who? Should be it on Trey Young? The Clippers. No. <laughs> the Suns. So what are you giving up? Whatever they want. No, it's you're not giving up Mikael Bridges or Devin Booker. I'd give up Aiton if they wanted him. They won't. They have Capella. They have Onyeko Kongu. Chris Paul's salary is just kind of floating around out there. Yeah. Let's get him to Atlanta all these years later when they probably should have drafted him. Picks. Would I put Cam Johnson on the table? I would consider it, but they have all their own picks. And it's like, if you're going for the pick based package and then like, yeah, you could get, you know, if Aiden's thrown in there, is he rerouted to a third team that catch you or something? The Suns would just be interesting. Yeah, I agree. I mean, because you know why they'd be interesting because Devin Booker is scalable as fuck scalable AF and can play next to any, anyone. Yeah, no, that's I like that one. I'm going to um, jump ahead to this because I want to leave the because um, you have one left and then I want to <laughs> leave the uh, the contender question for last. But Swag says, hoping the Celtics could target a wing before the trade deadline. Hauser's dropping out of the rotation. His performance across the season has plummeted from what we were getting in October, November. I hope the Celtics try and target a player such as Cam, Sadiq Bey, Jalen McDaniels. So any good wing targets for the Celtics? who are not, you know, they don't need a massive trade. They're not going to give up a ton. Um, two swags point, Sam Hauser shooting 28% from three since the end of November. Basically, uh, I if they wanted to go the wing route, I like they have to kind of think small. And so three names, Jalen McDaniels was a good one. Uh, I thought about Davon Reed from the Nuggets. And then also, if the Suns decide to sell, Damian Lee could be a really good fit in Boston too. Yeah, that's, I didn't think about him. <sighs> What do you think about Kelly Oubre? I know he's hurt, but if you could say he's going to be back for the playoffs, I don't know how you make that money work. Cause really you start with Gallo. Who's like, that's that $6 million. You've, you've got salary. Pritchard too, that Pritchard is kind of superfluous on the roster now. Um, but yeah, if I'm the Celtics, I guess I want, so if you're upgrading that position, you'd like someone that could really defend or could really shoot ideally both, but you can't do that with their assets. So yeah, Damian Lee's a really good one. Um, Let's see. Does Landry Shamit do anything like, for you? What's that? Does Landry Shamit do anything for you? Is he too small? I think he's probably too. I'd probably rather just roll the dice on Sam Hauser, to be yeah. honest. Like, could you go? Maybe he, this is too small, but he's cheaper. Garrison Matthews, like, if that's the route you want to go, or maybe you're, you want someone you're going to trust his shooting more than Sam Hauser. I don't know that you would trust him more than Sam Hauser in general, but, um, and I mean, like, if you were looking to go the let's not touch the core, but we want to get someone who makes, some money uh, you you have Gallinari at six and a half million and then you attach like a smaller salary to his so that you could bring back a a 10 million dollar player and i just don't know like who really stands out for like because now you need to attach something to that and it's not going to be a first round pick clearly and so it has to be on the the lower scale there i just don't know who necessarily falls under that umbrella which is why it's so like what about gary harris for them, you would still need to probably trade three players to get to his money. Yeah. That that, that's super tough. No, I mean, Terrence Ross, like, he's kind of the same way. You'd have to give up less for him than Harris. But, I mean, really, Liz, talk about a first-world problem. Like, the Celtics just, you know, 
Sam Hauser could just run hot and then would be like silly for us to even be talking about this. Right. And so it's like even a like a Roco, if you could get there, that's not someone that's going to be whatever. And the Clippers aren't going to give you a mere coffee. Yeah. Uh, Josh Richardson would be, I think would be fine for this team, but you can't like Gallo, you can't send him back to San Antonio. They already like stretched and waved him. So that's mm-hmm. tough. Utah doesn't really have like, they have all these expendable players, but none of them are true wings. And so like, that's not a team you could do business with Detroit. Like you're not getting in the, the boy on sweepstakes either. And so it's, it's kind of tough for them there. Ubre is, Ubre is interesting. It's just so hard to get to his money, which is why it's like Jalen McDaniels is just inherently more intriguing. Would Portland look at like giving you Nas little like after they extended him and uh, that, he just got back too. I don't know. I think they like, I mean, I saw one good game out of him where he made a few threes. I think they like the idea of him. I think Portland, I mean, this isn't a Celtics guy, but like, I think Portland's a pretty decent bet to try to move Josh Hart ahead of his player option for next year. Um, And little would be more valuable to to the Blazers if Hart is gone, just because his role would increase. Um, A flyer on cam would be fine. Yeah. I said, if you like, don't really care about the shooting. Yeah. We're very much in flyer territory. I think even Sadiq Bey is like, you know, he lost his starting job for a while, but even that seems like that might be tough for the Celtics to come up with enough to, cause you know, if you, if, if you wait a year, maybe Sadiq Bay's value goes up. If you're Detroit, you don't necessarily need to move him right now. Imagine if they were just, because they could get to the money. Imagine if they were willing to move a distant first round pick 25 or 27. And they went after Kyle Kuzma. Oh man, that would be, I mean, cause then, but you're, you're definitely not resigning him. Right. I don't Why? think so. Yeah. Well, because it's going to cost too much, and you've got all these other obligations. I just can't imagine. Well, Al Horford gets cheaper. That's true. He goes year. to ten million next year, right? And then, like, if you have to, like, do you need both Derek White and Malcolm Brogdon at this point? And the Kuzma, if you're you're already in territory of what are they not going to pay Grant Williams? I would think they were going to pay him. So you could keep Kuzma instead of Grant Williams if you wanted to go that route. Yeah. Do you think Kuzma is interested in being a piece on a on a winner, or does he want to be like I I I think he might want to, but might be more interested in like I get to explore the space a little bit, which he sort of does right now. But I think he likes that. That's fair, and he might have the markets where it doesn't matter. But I would think if they're just gonna pay him, um, that like if after he kind of signed what became this below market deal, mm-hmm. like this extension that he's wrapping up, I think maybe the money might talk. There. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, that would be. I mean, it's hard to do better than that if you're Boston. Kuzma, I mean, unless no you, one's talking about them as like, what if they went in and like went after that type of a player because they just don't have the salary matching. But if the Wizards decide to sell, Boston has first round picks to trade and like just they could step ladder their salaries there. Just yeah, that'd be not. interesting. Um, all right, you want me to jump to this, uh, this next one here? Uh, <laughs> yeah. this, so this is fun. Um, this is from unbiased Pistons fan, and this doesn't even have to do with a Pistons player. So totally unbiased. Um, how much sweetener would you need to give if you're the Timberwolves in a Rudy for Kessler trade? So <laughs> using this as a springboard, uh, I think we just need to make the comparison between the two, between Rudy Gobert and Walker Kessler, um, because obviously this they're not going to do this trade. Um it's like a tongue in cheek question, but holy shit. Like this is a question. Uh, and so <laughs> here's the thing. All right. So let's just say we concede that all that really matters in comparing these two players are, are, you know, you want rim protection. You want like some pick and roll finishing. You really don't need a lot of offense other than offensive rebounding, I guess, for this player type. Just this is, these guys are just interior defender shot deters rebounders essentially. So switching, you know, getting out in space, passing, whatever, we don't, it's not super important. So just like of the basics that you need from these guys, here are some numbers. Stop me whenever you want if one of these jumps out at you. So Rudy Gobert is allowing 56.9% on 7.2 field goals defended per game inside six feet, 56.9. Kessler is at 51.6, so over 5% better on slightly fewer six field goals defended inside six feet. Gobert knocks opponent rim attempt frequency down by 6.2%. That's in the 98th percentile. So guys like just try other options when Rudy Gobert is in the middle. That is still very much true. Kessler is at minus 4.1%. That's the 95th percentile among bigs. So maybe the 98th versus the 95th matters to you. Maybe it doesn't. 
in terms of opponent rim accuracy, so the finishing rate, when Gobert's on the floor, opponents finish 4.6% worse, Kessler 4.8% worse. So Kessler's got him there. Gobert's averaging two blocks per 100 possessions. Kessler is averaging 4.8 per 100 possessions. There is not a case for Gobert being a better rim protector, shot deter, shot blocker than Walker Kessler, who is a rookie this year right now. So the other thing that really jumped out at me, and you can't always attribute this to centers, but so Kessler knocks down opponent accuracy in the mid range, including short mid range and all the other cleaning glasses, all cleaning glass, short mid range, and then mid range overall at a 91st percentile clip. So not only do opponents not finish when Kessler is at the rim, they somehow don't make mid rangers, I think, and, sh- and floaters and stuff. So I think this is a testament to Kessler actually just moves better than Gobert and he's out contesting these shots and he's a factor outside the charge circle, basically, which Gobert as the numbers show or not when it, so in total contrast teams go bonkers from mid range and floater range when Gobert is on the floor this year their percentages in attempts and free and accuracy are like are way up so the defensive piece is just like Kessler all the way i think so pick and roll neither of them get the ball very much on offense uh Gobert gets about 2 per game as the roll man Kessler is barely under 1 71st percentile in scoring efficiency for Gobert, 74th for Kessler. Small piece, Kessler is at least comparable. Um, Rebounding, Gobert 17.9 per 100, Kessler 17.4 per 100. Kessler's better on the offensive boards. Um, (laughs) I just don't know where to keep going. It's so stupid (laughs) that this is a comparison. Uh, Kessler has a higher true shooting percentage, higher assist rate, lower turnover rate. His box plus minus is like 5x better than Gobert's this year. You don't uh, have to feed him post-ups or like try to get him to do something with the ball in his hands. Doesn't seem to piss off every teammate he's ever had. Um, the on-off stuff is all Kessler. Um, even if Gobert's defensive on-off split is actually a little bigger, he cripples the Wolves' offense this year. I think if you're looking for a silver lining, Gobert has been part of like elite offenses in Utah. And Donovan Mitchell had a bunch of quotes recently about how like it just takes time to figure out how to play with him. So charitably, Gobert has a lot of offensive upside in terms of his impact. Um, but the fact is that right now, Kessler is just a better player in terms of all the stuff we just went through and on-off stuff. You can absolutely make the case that Walker Kessler is a better player than Rudy Gobert right now today. And the arrows on their careers are like Xing, like one's headed down, one's headed up. The one thing to add to this, by the way, uh, Walker Kessler, 1.5 mid-range blocks per 36 minutes, Rudy Gobert, 0.5 mid-range blocks per 36 minutes. And even if you go raw totals, uh, Kessler has 35 mid-range blocks this year to Rudy Gobert's 15. So it's just like a totals thing. The contracts as well, as you sort of just mentioned also with the aging curves, I think you can say Walker Kessler right now is the more valuable asset than Rudy Gobert, even if you don't believe he's the better player, which might might just be a stretch because you do have to look at sort of like there's the issue of expectations, the level of competition that uh, Kessler goes up against in more limited playing time than Gobert does. Look at his surroundings. I don't think Kessler's not surrounded by a bunch of great defenders, but like the Wolves are very much doing this just experimental gambit to an extreme. So I'd be reticent to say that Walker Kessler is a better player than Rudy Gobert right now. He is certainly the more valuable asset than Rudy right. Gobert right now. Yeah, it's buried in all this is that Gobert just plays a lot more like per game. And Kessler has been a starter, but it's, I mean, that has to matter. I just think it's wild that like, we're not that far from this trade happening. uh, The, the, the Wolves jazz trade. And as we look at it now, I mean, you know, the, 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 the joke is like how, what, what would the Wolves have to throw in to get Kessler for Gobert? A lot. It is really the, the, the <laughs> yeah, the contract factors into it now, too. Like, the yeah, age in the so contract as an asset, it just independent of whatever it, the fact that it's a question, the fact that you can't actually make a case for Kessler being the better player this year is crazy. And then that's independent of all the other stuff you'd look at in, in if you're talking hypothetical trade because Kessler makes a fraction of what Gobert makes, all the team control stuff that comes with rookie scale deals. Also, the, the Timberwolves quite literally can't sweeten the drink. Yeah, right. They already sweetened the deal before. So now it's just like, I don't know. Do you have to throw in Anthony Edwards? Is that what we're talking about? <laughs> Is that to get it done? 
okay. Let's go on. Let's go on to this next one from uh, the Farkas. Bias Nuggets fan here. Uh, recent rumors of Nerlens Noel being moved and possibly to Denver is is a feasible route for the Nuggets to attain Nerlens Noel without giving up important. Is there a feasible route to the Nuggets acquiring Noel without giving up rotational players based on salaries? It, look, it could look something like Nerlens and Magruder slash Livers for Jeff Green, Ishmith, Peyton Watson plus draft capital, presumably a second. Which side wins the theoretical trade? And if you're the Nuggets, do you do this to bolster, bolster your abysmal bench defense, or what's the least important backup spot be behind Jokic? So I'll go here first. I just wouldn't do this trade if I'm Denver because I feel like Noel can end up being a buyout candidate, and then to sort of give up on Peyton Watson and then just any second round draft capital that doesn't really move the needle for me. As I mentioned on the previous podcast, this isn't a license to not make a trade, but the bench has outscored opponents without Jokic by six points since the start of January. If you were to make a trade, I just think you set your sights smaller to where you don't need to consolidate so many salaries because that gets tough midseason where we're talking about, you know, three for two is fine, but if you need to go three for one, that's just so difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, If Phoenix decides to sell, Bismarck Biombo would be really interesting in Denver. Um, Been a really good rim protector this year. Uh, Nick Richards in Charlotte. Drew Eubanks in Portland. I think that's the level of backup big that you're feasibly looking at to where you don't have to. I'd just be shocked if they said, oh, we're going to give up on Peyton Watson right now. I don't know what they like value him long-term, but that's the equivalent of a first-round draft pick to them at this point. And it would depend on who they were getting back. If Noel ends up on the buyout market, though, or if any of like this guy, like, yeah, they should certainly be a team that kicks the tires on that. I think I hadn't even thought of the buyout stuff. I agree. I wouldn't, I don't think I would do this either one because I'm not sure how much it matters what you get out of the center minutes behind Jokic. I think it's more important if you could go find somebody else that could be a help defender with him, potentially if there's a scenario where, because now you just care about which five guys can be on the floor in the big minutes for Denver. If there's, I don't know how, I don't know if you can necessarily upgrade Denver's best five players, but you're looking for someone that in a pinch, I think could, fly around and do stuff off the ball. And Noel can sort of do that, but he's a center. Um, the buyout thing's interesting because we've talked all this, you know, over and over about how the trade deadline is going to suck and it's going to be tough to pull off trades. I mean, doesn't that maybe mean that the buyout market might be really good because all these guys that teams can't move or, you know, can't get the right price for Noel being a perfect example could just be available. And then Denver should be at the front of the line for guys like that. Cause it's a contender and and there's, there's a need, like, I think nobody likes patience. It's not fun, but I think waiting on the buyout market might really be the, like sort of the best return for a for a team like Denver and, and some others. I just don't know like what I agree with what you said, what Denver could use more than just a back. I mean, like a backup five is fine, but you have Zeke Naji, who I'm still really mm-hmm. just like, what's the player that even ends up on the buyout market or is even realistically feasible like low end trade call like Nick Richards, you could probably try to play with Jokic, but like, you know, how far into the weeds are we going there at that point? Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. It's like, you know, Mo Bamba's not getting bought out. <laughs> like they just, it's not going to say a Hartenstein for them for a minute. Like that's a trade they could pull off. He's like kind of falling out of favor in New York, but again, now you're not playing him and Jokic together. either. No, no, you're, you're trying, you're, you don't want to give up a lot for like the four minutes of a playoff game that Jokic won't be on the floor. Like I just, you know, not that Denver has a lot to give up, but that, that would be difficult. Um, And so let's get to this last one, which will be, it's fascinating question. And so it's a, it's a twofold one. And we'll start with the um, question coming from the, the big fellow. My question is how many teams would you put in the one trade away category going into the trade deadline? For example, the Cavs, Heat and Suns are all teams. I would say need one more decent trade to put them in the full level of contention. How many teams you put into that category given full health, of course. And so I separated it like follows. And I talked about this with you before we went into it. The don't need a trade. I want to see if you would add anybody to this. Boston, Denver, Memphis, and Milwaukee. Maybe Brooklyn um, and maybe Philly. But both of those teams could be improved by a trade. I just don't know. It, it you know, I could see them being in that discussion, but I could also, but the point is taken that like those four teams you mentioned, if everybody's healthy, I think those are right now are the four best teams. And could get away with not doing anything. I don't know what to do with the nets. I had them in the one trade away category, but you brought up an interesting point that it's like, if Kevin Durant isn't healthy, 
that you're just not in the title discussion. They're fifth in defense mm-hmm. so far. So if he, it's it just comes down to whether Kevin Durant's healthy. Like no trade you make. People have talked about a backup big. I think that's a little bit overstated just because you have Nick Claxton and Ben Simmons, and we're going to add another non-shooter to the equation. If it's Miles Turner, sure, but that's mm-hmm. like one pretty massive trade right. away. So you know what? I'm going to add the Nets to the no trade one. You talked me into that. Thank uh, you. I, I think the Sixers could probably still use some wing depth. So I'm going to have them one trade away, but here's my more than a trade away teams that are honorable mentions. I think people might be expecting. I have the Clippers and the Mavericks in here to where I don't think there's a realistic trade they could make. That's going to make them title like favorites contenders, a team that I believe is going to win the championship. I believe I'll receive the most pushback on putting the Clippers here. That they're more than one trade away. That people probably believe that they deserve to be in the no trade away discussion or they're one trade away. What about this season? I mean, the injury thing is like an injury to a team's best player takes all these teams out of it, basically. So like, except that the problem with the Clippers is we already know that their best players are just not necessarily injured, but not available. So I, I, I think I agree that there's not like a player out there that changes the Clippers fate you know, in a meaningful way that they could realistically get, it could improve them, but it's almost like trades aren't even the issue for, for the Clippers really to me. So you would agree with having those two teams in there then I'm good with that. So here are my one trade away teams, and then we can get to targets very quickly. I know you have to get out of here too. I have the Miami heat, Cleveland Cavaliers, new Orleans, Pelicans, golden state warriors, Phoenix Suns, with the caveat that when you hear the trade targets, they're like one master trade away. And then the Philadelphia 76ers. Okay. So my the two that jumped to mind first for me, um, I think I agree with those also, but the the Warriors and the Cavs, and I'll just take the Cavs first. Like we probably said it on this podcast. I already can't remember. We talk about it every time. They need a small forward. Um, that's the piece to me that they need to get. The problem is like they just again reiterating, how do you go get a three and D wing right now in a market that just really does not have them. Um, what do you have? I don't know. I don't have any solutions for that. Cause all of them are just like, not interesting. Every, every write up you see is just like super underwhelming Jalen McDaniels maybe, but I don't, I mean, it, it so just, I don't know. On the lower end, I would be curious. And I mentioned his name already. Damian Lee, if the Suns decide to sell or just willing to, Oh, Hey, we're not going to have him around next season or something. That's just someone who's cost effective. But I have wondered, between Karis LeVert and second-round draft equity, could you get Gary Trent Jr.? Or do you think there are going to be offers that just beat that? I think that's – I mean, that's a best case. That would be that'd be great. I, I do – Trent isn't quite – I want like a 6'7", 6'8", guy if I could, you know, to fill that spot. Trent's not quite that rangy. But, if, I mean, he, he's been a steals monster in the past. I'd feel way better about him on, I don't know, Jason Tatum than than Donovan Mitchell or I really maybe Mobley is the guy that has to guard him anyway but yeah something like that would be that would be I mean I do that in a heartbeat because I think Lavert is really superfluous on that team especially with Rubio back the other thing and this feels like the most realistic one would you do and it doesn't have to be any other money Val but just Karis Lavert for Josh Richardson and if the Spurs want to give you some other money back like you figure you figure that out but Karis Lavert for Josh Richardson. I don't know what the Spurs want with Karis LeVert. Maybe it's a three-team scenario, like you sending Karis LeVert to Dallas, who's sending something to San Antonio. But if you're giving up Karis LeVert, you know, first of all, you don't even need to give up Karis LeVert to get Josh Richardson. You could go something like Isaac Okoro and Jetty Osmond or Isaac Okoro and Dylan Windler. So something think, on that line. Those if lines. I'm the Spurs, I think I'm probably more interested in Okoro than LeVert. And I, 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 That's fair. Would you do no. Okoro and salary for Richardson if you're Cleveland? I would. I think- I think I would. I mean, I, I guess there's the possibility that Okoro finally, you know, puts it together. He's still young, but I think for you, if you're the Cavs, I think this is a right now thing. You don't know how long you're going to have Donovan Mitchell. You don't know how long. I mean, you know, Mobley has upside. Allen is still young. Garland has upside. But I just, if I can get the, if I can get the piece, and Richardson is not ideal, but I think he fits what you need more than Lavert does, doesn't he? I, I, I. I think he can guard up the positional spectrum more. If you were looking for sort of just higher volume, three point shooting and some on ball jet fuel, I'd prefer the GTJ there. So I would make that trade if it's available mm-hmm. in theory, you can make both 
Yeah. If you're giving up a core part, that would really diversify their roster. Do you, I'm going to throw it to you. We didn't talk about this. Do you have a Warriors one trade away target? I, I mean, other than Alex Caruso? Uh, that's not, he would be my trade target over the summer if they don't think they're going to keep DiVincenzo. Him and DiVincenzo feel a little redundant. Yeah. So, my, I don't know if this is a dream, but if the Warriors were, you know, going to adult up and go out, like Kyle Kuzma would be great for the yeah. Warriors, in my opinion. But my actual trade for them, are you ready? I'm ready. James Wiseman. Yep. Moses Moody. Yep. For Cody Martin, PJ Washington, Jalen McDaniels. Man, so you're getting three guys you might be able to play. I don't hate that. I was really hoping you were going to find a way to get Ananobi, but <laughs> I'm disappointed you couldn't make it happen for me. Um, but what the, is their the Ananobi is... package? Is Wiseman, Moody, and two first round picks? Yeah, That's getting... they, they don't. They don't really have the Ananobi package. Is the problem? What um, was their Boyan Bogdanovich package that you were hinting at? <laughs> it was going to be what? Wiseman and Moody and the and the picks basically, just to see if I mean, if you're the Pistons, certainly more so than the Raptors, I think you should have interest in Wiseman and Moody as second draft guys. Um, Even with Jalen Duran on the roster, though, uh, who cares? Who's already better than James Wiseman? Oh yeah, what it way? Charlotte, on. by the way, has Mark Williams and Kai Jones and Nick Richards and Mason Plumley, but. I'm just like, if you can get James Wiseman, like, why not try that there? Right. Yeah. No, I, 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 so you're saying Martin McDaniels and Washington. And you're assuming that you're going to keep Washington in restricted free agency potentially, which you probably need to do. McDaniels yeah. I mean, that a makes it free agent as well. So you could also look at it as, like, oh, well, we'll keep at least one of these guys. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so sad that that's a, yeah, we, I could see it. Like, it's so sad that that's where we are on that. Um, what about Miami? I don't know. I guess Miami needs a big forward. So are we going to get, are we going to reunite the Martins? Are we going to put them together? Do you have a... Uh, Kyle Kuzma was perfect for them if Washington's yeah. going to sell and they have picks to give up. You would need to, there be need to be more money going out because I assume you want to move Duncan Robinson. Also, Boyan Bogdanovich, they're a great destination. If you can get the Pistons to take on Duncan Robinson's deal, so you're compensating them for that and for Boyan, it probably cost you two first-round picks at least, maybe even Jovic in there. He would be a perfect fit for them. Does John Collins do anything for you in Miami? Oh, he certainly does. I just, what like what are you giving up to get him? Because it's Duncan Robinson and who? And like why is Atlanta doing that trade? Right, yeah. I mean, you'd have to, Jovic is just the guy, because the Heat don't have young players. Jovic would have to be in there, and then you've got to cobble together as many picks as you can um although like again who knows what colin's trade value is we talk about it every week it feels like if it's really low i mean Jovich and i mean robinson's salary is not good so i don't know i don't know if the heat have the draft capital so assuming too that any any first rounder you get from the heat is probably not going to be in the lottery because they just don't really do it that way um that's tough for them to get the picks together i think to to pull somebody like collins away although who, who knows? Like maybe, maybe the Hawks are just going to go in fire sale mode. It's hard to say. Uh, th- yeah. So it's just like, I think he had the first round equity to get stuff done. And like, even you could move Victor Oladipo salary, like right. that short-term commitment to like, that could facilitate Kuzma talks technically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, for- how are you getting miles Turner to the Pelicans? So he, I have him listed, but my actual targets for the Pelicans at this point, because I'm just, I don't want to battle new, or- new Orleans fans who think that, Jonas Valanciunas is somehow better than Miles Turner at this point. Uh, let's just get them like a chucker in there. And so Malik Beasley, mm. Gary Trent Jr. And then here's one kind of Bogdan Bogdanovich off Atlanta. Right. Everyone's available or should be right from Atlanta. Um, yeah, I agree. I think one more guy that you could put out there and it's not like the Pelicans don't have, you know, a handful of good shooters. But just having more volume, I think, would matter if like Trey Murphy's off or McCollum is not hitting like and Ingram ever plays again. That, that, that would be nice if he did. Um, Beasley is a guy that I think could fit on, like Beasley to Memphis, even though I think we've said they're not a trade away. That, that's kind of the no brainer. Although, honestly, if I'm Memphis, I'm aiming higher than that if, if I'm going to make a trade. But just someone to come in and, and just like bomb away if, you know, Dylan Brooks is having a Dylan Brooks game in the worst way. I think that that could put and Memphis just Memphis. Do you think Memphis or New Orleans needs a gunner more? Ooh, uh, I think I think Memphis because if you have a healthy Zion, like your half court offense is inoculated against this. Yeah. Like the reason the Pelicans don't shoot threes is because I know the Memphis gets to the rim a ton too, but like 
you're just designed around this like bowling ball that can move east west and is just super explosive and in Zion. So I, I think it's it's Memphis. Yeah. Memphis has the more glaring half court offense problems, as you pointed out. So that should be I, solved. I will say, just because I do want to see New Orleans get more of a floor spacing, like front court option in there that can give you maybe higher volume than Larry Nance Jr. I have Nas Reed listed for mm. them as well. I don't know what it takes to get him out of Minnesota, but that was just. I thought about that. I also kind of thought because he's all of a sudden high volume, Isaiah Stewart. I wonder what hmm. it would cost to get him from Detroit. Well, once they have James Wiseman, they're not going to need him. So, like, it's, <laughs> they're really going to just be looking to give him away for pennies. Um, yeah, the I. Sons. Are you okay, ready for this? Your sons, no, give me your son's guy. I was just going to say how I like. It's difficult to if we can't say Miles Turner, we're not allowed to anymore. It's it's hard to find the Miles Turner type for the Pelicans, but Nas Reed's a really good pull because he's kind of kind of has some of the same characteristics. Give I would me, say okay. Najee too, but I don't think the Nuggets would trade him, let alone trade him to a Western Conference foe, where it's like, if you're Minnesota, kind of like depending on what you're getting, this season's fucked. You have Rodrigo Baron and Carl Anthony Towns moving forward. How important is, is Nas Reed? And so depending on what the Pelicans are offering. Yeah. <clears throat> Who's your son's guy? Uh, guys. And this speaks to how far away they are from contention at the moment. I have Fred Van Vliet or Pascal Siakam. Like those are the guys that you're talking. I think look, Kuzma, Eric Gordon, Boyan McDonald. We can run through the gamut of just like if Chris Paul, who I think we've kind of moving, we veered too far to like saying he sucks when I don't think that's the case. I just feel like he's a much lesser player. Um, and I think a lot of this stuff is sort of colored by the Devin Booker injury, the fact that Jay Crowder isn't there, the Cam Johnson injury. DeAndre Ayton has been I don't want to say terrible on defense. He's been bad. And I think we have to start confronting this idea that, hey, did Phoenix just sign a slightly above average big man to a max contract? And that could be a problem moving forward. Uh, I had thought about like, though, you could build like Aiton, even if, look, here's what I thought about Aiton for, and the framework is Aiton and for Fred Van Vliet. So like there's other stuff involved. Like is Chris Boucher coming back? to or Thaddeus Young to Phoenix as part of that. But like, would you, you know, you're getting, you're losing so much shot creation as Toronto, but they've been obsessed with searching for kind of a big, um, it would be more natural if you were going eight and for Siakam and building stuff out there, but who has to send picks back in just the eight and for Van Fleet scenario. And I know people will say one eight has the no trade clause basically this year. Like he can veto. Let's just, he, he, I think he wants out of Phoenix. Let's just, I think he would accept the trade anywhere. Yeah. And then, Van Fleet with Chris Paul and Devin Booker on the roster. I kind of don't care. I would play all three of those guys together and I just wouldn't care. Yeah. I think Van Fleet does create some problems there and his player option and free agency also present problems. I it's, it's, but on the other hand, no, I think probably, probably Toronto is giving picks just because of the contract stuff. I mean, Aiton's overpaid, I think we agree, but like Van Vliet, just the Suns might lose him, you know? <laughs> so, true. True. so, I mean, I, 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 there's addition by subtraction in theory, but like as bad as Aiton has been relative to expectations, like I don't think you're just looking to get off of his contract without getting anything, um, which would be a possibility. And I do need, I'm going to definitely need like, you're going to have to give me Christian Coloco or Boucher or, you know, Precious Achua or somebody back that I can hang on to um, in addition to Van Fleet. But, uh, but yeah, I think Aiden would be fine in Toronto. It would make things would just like start to make more sense roster wise there. If he were just, that's your center now, no more of this messing around with, you know, your six, seven to six, nine guy of choice playing center. I think, I think I could get into that. I think the trade would be Aiton and campaign for Van Vliet and Boucher. The money works and then just picks need to go or you're talking prospects go back and forth there. That would be the the framework. Who yeah. says no to that? Nobody does. It's a perfect trade. I think it's perfect. I hesitated for a second, which means it's a perfect trade. I don't know who says no. Finally, we have the Sixers who are just, they just can't make moves. They're just so like <laughs> their picks and they're so close to being below the luxury tax. You know, they're going to duck it. But the two targets I have for them, They've been linked to like people who make all this money, like Eric Gordon, but Don. It's like, no, it's not happening. You're not moving Tobias Harris as part of that trade. So the two names I have, Cody Martin and Josh Hart. And then like kind of the framework for what I have here is Matisse Thibel 
and Daniel House, let's say, for Josh Hart. And then you would have to, because the Sixers want to duck the tax, like you compensate someone to take on Furkan Korkmaz right. um, and to take on uh, Jaden Springer. Or, or like, so that would be the route they go. But those are two targets I have listed for them. And I wonder if like, does Daniel House a second and Matisse Thibel, like does that get you in the Josh Hart discussion? Does that get you in the Cody Martin's cheaper? So you wouldn't even need to go maybe that high, but like, let's say Matisse Thibel and Korkmaz in a second, or I, I would, you know, Daniel House has not been good this year. And so they tampered to get him, which is kind of disappointing, but <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I, I forget what I was working on, but the Sixers trading Korkmaz and or Thibel is just like one of the most guaranteed foregone conclusions just because of the tax situation. I hadn't thought about lumping them together to get someone like Hart. And I like that a lot more than trying to send them, you know, to some place with a second rounder attached to get guy a guy making close to the minimum. So you duck the tax. I think, you know, that that is a concern, but the Sixers, if they can, should see if they can accumulate enough salary to get like a 10, $12 million guy. And I think Hart makes right around 12. Um, and I mean, it wouldn't be the worst thing if he's just off the books next year too. And you could go figure out with your, you know, taxpayer mid-level, the next guy to fill that role potentially. Yeah. I think like, so Hart makes 13. And so it would need to be something like you send Pible and Daniel house to Portland. And then what can you give to, um, let's say San Antonio, they have all this money or even in Indiana to take on the final year of Cork Maz's deal or to take on, I mean, like, does someone even like, if you don't care about your tax bill, I think Jaden Springer alone would do it. And so would mm -hmm. San Antonio or Indiana just take him uh, like that's food for thought, but that would be, it's, it would be a three for one and you need like a team to take on another player. Yeah. I mean, if you're talking about Josh Hart, you could talk about Josh Richardson too. I mean, the salaries are... they want to reunite with him. I, I like Josh Richardson for them, but I feel like Sixers fans might think that that's sack religious. Yeah. That's a tough, that's a tough look. Like, I might a, prefer to play him at the four than PJ Tucker at points well, right now, to be honest with you. Yeah, that's not exactly a homecoming anyone would welcome. But, I mean, you know, him and Hart are different players, but it's just another another option at that number. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, are we I mean, Cody Martin only makes seven. And so, like, you could technically lot money off onto the Hornet. Like, you could – I Tybo and Daniel House, you duck the tax while getting Cody Martin – is a second round sweetener there. Like do the Hornets value. Oh, we have Matisse Thibel. Maybe, to, maybe, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the fact that they just, they, I mean, and, and Martin hasn't played a ton, but the fact that they just recently, you know, signed him again, it would seem weird for them to give up. But I feel like as, as quirky and as like really narrow as Tybalt's uses are, I could imagine a team, certainly one with like nothing to lose, like a Charlotte or a San Antonio, just taking a flyer and like maybe our shooting coach can get him to make 35% of his threes and we have a great defensive player that can stand in. Like, you know, that he's he's an, he's someone that I think still, in spite of how he's performed, has you could talk yourself into some upside if you're a rebuilding team for sure. And also Philadelphia has a 2023 second, it's the most favorable from Atlanta, Charlotte, or Brooklyn. And so if you're Charlotte and you can kind of get control back of your own second, which is probably going to be like 32. Yeah. I mean, so, the Charlotte Hornets just swinging deals to get control back of second rounders. So very quickly to wrap up, DeAndre Ayton and uh campaign for Fred Van Vliet and Chris Boucher. Who says no? I think the... Suns say no unless you're giving me Coloco and picks and stuff. But it's a, I mean, it's it, that's all it would take. I think. I think you've got the framework. Cody Martin for Daniel House, Matisse Thibel, and that second round pick. Who says no? Mm, nobody. That's happening. And let's go. What would be the good last one here? Okay, the Warriors one. We got to give it James Wiseman, Moses Moody for Jalen McDaniels, Cody Martin, and PJ Washington. The Warriors, no. the Warriors say no because they're just never going to trade James Wiseman. <laughs> Unfortunately. Uh, I think that's... Oh, and Isaac Okoro plus Dylan Windler for Josh Richardson, who says no. Mm, the, I, the Cavs sure as hell shouldn't say no, so I guess it's the Spurs, but I think they both should do that. There you go. I think that's... A, that's the. I don't even have like a fifth quick one to... Fifth, fifth quick one to propose your way, unfortunately. Did you want to... 
We didn't send John Collins anywhere. Good for us. Uh, John Collins to Indy for Chris Duarte and Boston's and Cleveland's first round pick. Ooh, I think they both do that. The Hawks clearly don't care about John Collins, so getting a couple of firsts would be good. And then I'm still, I'm still very much team John Collins. If I, if if I can get John Collins, I think I want to do it. There you go. Five quick trades. Do you want to take us out of here? Thank sure. you for staying so much later than you said you were going. No, no, no. I, you know, any anytime we're gonna, uh, I get to say yes or no to trades. I'm always on board, <laughs> so I can de- destroy your hopes or validate them. One of the two. Um, as always, thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, as Dan said at the top, please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Give us those five stars on iTunes. Uh, get rid of those Knicks downvotes, which I assume are still happening. I don't know. Or maybe, you know, let's 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 juice up those numbers. Um, follow us on our socials. Uh, check out the links in the description. And also, if you're watching this on YouTube, at Hardwood Knox everywhere. Sometimes we're at underscore Hardwood Knox. Just search for us. Check us out. Follow Dan and I. And finally, tell a friend, join our Discord. There's good talks in there. We, we get a lot of mailbag questions. Um, those are useful, and the discussions are always really knowledgeable, especially like the team-specific stuff. So get involved if you're not. And, uh, yeah, last thing, shout-out to one and only Frank Nilakina and to Jared Allen, as always, we apologize.